Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash DVC. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Bayer AG. Welcome to this Peer Voice Talks on Cancer-Associated Thrombosis. This activity comprises two presentations featuring Professor Alok Karana. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. My name is Alok Karana. I'm a medical oncologist and director of the GI Cancer Program here at the Cleveland Clinic in Cleveland, Ohio. One of my primary research interests is cancer-associated thrombosis, or CAT. Why do cancer patients get blood clots, venous or arterial, how has that burden changed over time? And what can we do to best treat cancer patients so we reduce the burden of illness, uh, both the cancer illness but also this complication of cancer, CAT? Welcome to this first of two talks where I will be talking about managing thrombosis in cancer. In this first presentation, I'll talk about cancer-associated thrombosis and its associated complications and consequences for cancer patients, including morbidity, mortality, particularly in the era of COVID, where increased risk of uh, thrombosis is compounded by the increased risk of thrombosis associated with COVID. The first thing to note here is that starting in the late 1990s until recently, has been a remarkable increase in the incidence of cancer-associated thrombosis. Uh, we don't fully understand why this is happening. Uh, the risk of VTE in cancer patients has always been greater than in the non-cancer population, uh, but it has continued to rise, whereas rates of VTE in the non-cancer population have stayed relatively stable. This is best seen in, the, in a large uh, nationwide Danish cohort study. I think we have some uh, understanding of this. In, in this study, the cumulative incidence for all cancer patients was about 3%. The incidence was 5.3% in cancer patients receiving systemic therapy, such as chemotherapy or targeted therapy. And the increased risk was threefold greater in all cancer patients and sixfold increase in patients receiving systemic therapy. What is driving this increased incidence is multifactorial. I think the firstly, we have to acknowledge the success of cancer treatments is actually contributing to this. Cancer patients are living longer. They're being on treatment longer. The advent of newer regimens, such as targeted therapy regimens and immune checkpoint inhibitor therapies, have been very successful in treating cancer, even if we can't cure it, and allowing patients to live good quality of life for a longer period of time. But as patients live longer, they have more time to develop uh, DVT or PE, and some of these newer agents may be associated with an increased risk of DVTRP even compared to older agents such as uh, chemotherapy. So I think that's one factor is uh, the success of cancer treatment. A second factor is our improvement in technology. Um, a, a recent patient of mine with metastatic colorectal cancer who also recently had COVID uh, went in for a staging CT scan of her chest and was found to have a, uh, a pulmonary embolism. And so we get these calls often uh, where you know, cancer patients are going for staging scans. They're, they're found to have a pulmonary embolism or a IVC thrombus or SMV thrombus. And uh, scan technology has improved and cancer patients are getting more scans, which leads to greater finding of uh, DVT or PE in this population. I want to highlight here that uh, we often talk about cancer and thrombosis in the context of venous events, so deep, deep venous thrombosis or pulmonary embolism. 
But arterial events are also quite common in the cancer population. In this study by Navi and colleagues, we see that arterial events can spike uh, just before a diagnosis or at the time of new cancer diagnosis. And they can stay high for several months after a cancer diagnosis, reaching rates as high as five, 4 to 5% in the first six months after cancer diagnosis. These are extraordinarily high rates. We don't see this type of high rate in any other population. And we believe both venous and arterial events are driven by cancer, cancer itself being a hypercoagulable state and utilizing clotting activation as a way to protect itself from immune, uh, immune mechanisms and as a way to promote angiogenesis. What this translates into is a massive impact on cancer patients. First and most uh, strikingly, it adds to increased risk of mortality. Cancer patients are much more likely to die from a venous thromboembolism uh, or an arterial thromboembolism than the general population. For venous, it's actually 47 times greater risk of uh, VTE-associated death in the cancer population. And cancer and thrombosis, venous and arterial combined, are account for 9% of deaths in the cancer population. Uh, so the number one cause of death, obviously, in cancer patients is cancer, but cancer and thrombosis would be the second leading cause of death in this population. In addition to uh, the impact on direct impact on mortality, there's also an indirect impact on mortality that we don't fully understand. But cancer patients who develop VTE are much more likely to die either of cancer or of uh, other reasons uh, within the first few months after starting treatment for cancer than cancer patients without VTE. And we don't understand why. We can speculate that this is driven by the increased risk of uh, the coagulation cascade being activated, which somehow portends a more aggressive cancer biology. Cancer cells may be using clot formation as a way to escape um, uh, uh, immune cells or immune mechanisms within the body. They may be using it to promote angiogenesis because the angiogenetic syst angiogenesis systems and the coagulation systems are closely interlinked. They may be using it to alter the tumor microenvironment. Uh, but for whatever reason, cancer patients with activated coagulation, as manifested by uh, venous events such as DVT or PE, have a more aggressive cancer biology, greater risk of cancer progression, and greater risk of dying from cancer in ways that we don't fully understand yet. This persists even with newer treatments. So we've knew, known of this association of survival with uh, cancer treatments in the past when chemotherapy was the standard. But in recent studies, including ours uh, done here at the Cleveland Clinic, uh, we looked at uh, close to 1,700 patients with uh, cancer receiving immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy. We found that nearly a fourth of patients developed a DVT or a PE. And the occurrence of VTE was associated with decreased survival on immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy, even after adjusting for the type of cancer and the stage of cancer and all the other known variables that impact mortality. When you adjusted for all of this, median overall survival was 365 days with VTE versus 453 days without VTE. This is a hazard ratio of 1.2. Other investigators, such as those from the Vienna group, have shown even higher hazard ratio of mortality in cancer patients on immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy developing a VTE versus cancer patients with the same treatment without a VTE. So this is an important finding and important consequence for cancer patients. In addition to uh, mortality, we also see an impact on morbidity. 
greater risk of hospitalization in the cancer population. If they're hospitalized, there's a greater risk of uh, prolonged hospitalization. The median hospitalization is nine days for cancer patients with VTE versus three days without. And of course, all of this contributes in terms of healthcare resource utilization in, to the tune of several thousand dollars per, per cancer patient who develops a VTE. For individual patients, therefore, it's important that as uh, providers of care to cancer patients, we uh, make sure that they understand the warning signs and symptoms of DVT or PE. Recent surveys have shown that only half of cancer patients are aware that they're at increased risk of DVT or PE and that they don't know the warning symptoms and signs. They don't know that an increased leg swelling on one side, new onset chest pain, new onset cough, or shortness of breath could all be signs of an underlying venous complication. And so it's very important that we communicate this to patients with cancer. Now we've talked about this sort of rapid increase in incidence and alarming increase in incidence in VTE over the past two decades. Uh, what, what these data don't capture is the impact of the last two years. And we know what that impact has been. Uh, COVID has affected sort of every facet of medicine and every facet, frankly, of, of all, uh, you know, of professional life. Uh, and so we often have patients with cancer who are at greater risk of COVID outcomes uh, because they are immunosuppressed, and so they may not respond as well uh, to, a, to a vaccine. In the U United States, where I practice, we also have uh, the problem of vaccine hesitancy, where patients are refusing or delaying taking vaccines. And so together, this leads to cancer patients being at greater risk of COVID complications, including DVT or PE. And in fact, there's concern that there may be a synergy between COVID and cancer in the sense that cancer patients are already at a hypercoagulable state. Having COVID puts them at a greater hypercoagulable state. And so I recently had to take care of this patient who was a young patient in her late 30s with a new diagnosis of metastatic colorectal cancer had just started systemic therapy, developed COVID, uh, and developed a pulmonary embolism as a combination of having COVID, cancer, and cancer treatment. Uh, and so these are important problems that add to the existing burden of uh, COVID in this, uh, and cancer in this uh, very vulnerable population. So there are suggested algorithms for managing thrombosis in patients uh, with COVID-19 and cancer. In the early stages of cancer with moderate COVID-19, you could consider prophylactic anticoagulation, which should be considered for prevention of DVT or PE. For patients with a more advanced stage of cancer or more severe COVID-19, but that don't have thrombosis yet, you could consider either prophylactic or intensified uh, anticoagulation. Uh, therapeutic anticoagulation could be considered under certain circumstances, but Bleeding risk is also enhanced in the cancer population, so we have to take into that into account. Uh, and the same thing with combination antithrombotics, we want to stay away from that because of the increased risk of bleeding. But certainly this is something that cancer patients need to be aware of, and cancer providers need to be aware of so that they can use prophylaxis in the appropriate setting. So to summarize, cancer-associated thrombosis is a big clinical problem. It has an unacceptably high burden. It is associated with bad outcomes for cancer patients, including uh, increased risk of direct mortality, increased risk of indirect mortality, increased risk of hospitalization, prolonged hospitalization, and of course the impact on quality of life. Uh, and so we need to be very careful in making sure that cancer patients are educated about the warning signs and symptoms of DVT or PE, and where possible, particularly in the context of COVID, that we're using prophylactic anticoagulation in the right setting for the right patient. 
Thank you very much for your attention. And now we'll move on to the next talk, which will focus on the management of acute venous thromboembolism in patients with cancer. Follow me along for the second portion of the talk. Thank you. Hello, my name is Alok Karana. Today, we are discussing two talks on the management and burden of cancer-associated thrombosis. And in the second talk today, we will focus on uh, guideline updates in cancer-associated thrombosis and their impact on clinical practice. We had talked uh, about a patient who presented with uh, a diagnosis of metastatic colorectal cancer, also had COVID, presented with a new onset of a pulmonary embolism, uh, confirmed by a CT scan of the chest. How in 2022 is this patient best treated? Uh, this is a rapidly evolving uh, area of treatment. Uh, and so let me just historically look at what treatment options there have been, what treatment options there are now, uh, and what treatment options we can offer this particular young patient with uh, metastatic colorectal cancer that already carries a heavy burden of illness from, from being on cancer treatment and now has to face a second illness, which is thrombosis which is also life-threatening. From the start of the 2000s until very recently, uh, guidelines recommended uh, low molecular weight heparin monotherapy. The best data were for a specific low molecular weight heparin called daltiparin, uh, which was compared to the older standard, warfarin, in a randomized clinical trial called the CLOT trial. And this was published in 2003 and showed a substantial absolute risk reduction of recurrent VTE. So when you treat a cancer patient with an acute venous thromboembolism, what you're looking for is, of course, number one is to prevent a second blood clot from happening. So if you have a PE, you don't want a second PE to happen and that to be life-threatening. Uh, you also want to prevent bleeding because every anticoagulant is uh, associated with an increased risk of bleeding, especially in therapeutic doses. And in the initial clot trial, uh, the absolute risk reduction was from 17% with warfarin down to about 9% with daltiparin. So the number needed to treat to prevent one uh, recurrent VTE was 13, which is... Uh, which is quite low. Uh, and so rapidly, daltiparin or the general class of low molecular weight heparins became the standard of care. This was uh, attempted to be replicated in a second large randomized trial called CATCH that was published in uh, 2015. Uh, and this did not meet its primary endpoint, but showed the same trend that recurrent VT rates were lower with low molecular weight heparin compared to a vitamin K antagonist such as warfarin. And because of that, uh, low molecular weight heparin monotherapy for six months became the standard. What changed was the emergence of a new class of drugs called DOACs, or direct oral anticoagulants. Uh, there are several of them, and studies specifically in the cancer population comparing with, at the time, the standard of care, which was uh, low molecular weight heparin, specifically daltiparin. And so many of these different clinical trials, Hokusai with edoxaban, Selecti with rivaroxaban, Adam VTE and Caravaggio with Apixaban all took daltiparin as their standard arm and then the specific uh, uh, DOAC as their study arm. And all of them evaluated what is the risk of recurrent VTE and what is the risk of bleeding if you use uh, six months of a DOAC rather than six months of a low molecular weight heparin. And, you know, these studies are sort of too complex to get into individually, but themes emerged from all of these different clinical trials. And in general, these trials establish the non-inferiority of DOAC, so they're not inferior to low molecular weight heparins. If you study the combined endpoint of safety and recurrent VTE. So for my cancer patient that recently presented with both COVID and cancer and had a PE, I can safely say to them, yes, you can take a DOAC and the risk of recurrent VTE 
is not any worse if you take a low molecular heparin versus if you take a, uh, a DOAC. And in fact, some studies suggested that the risk of recurrent VTE, so the chance of a second clot, is actually less with DOACs than it is with, uh, with low molecule heparins, which is a big advantage because low molecule heparins were already better than, than warfarin, which was the older standard. However, this reduce, reduction in recurrent VTE was accompanied by an increase in uh, bleeding, specifically in major bleeding, which is a major safety outcome for these DOEC trials. However, these findings were not consistent across the whole cancer population, and they were not consistent across all the clinical trials. So where do we see increased risk of bleeding? We see them in the initial trials. So the trials of edoxaban and rivaroxaban showed an increased risk of major bleeding. And we see it mostly in the GI cancer population. If you look at the edoxaban trial, the Hokusai VTE cancer, if you separate out the GI cancer patients, there's actually no increased risk of bleeding. Similarly, in the rivaroxaban trial, most of the increased risk of bleeding was caused by upper GI bleeding, esophageal cancer, and gastric cancer. Uh, and then in the later trial, we did not see an excess risk of GI bleeding or an excess risk of bleeding at all. What these findings suggest is that DOACs are uh, an alternative so to the treatment of uh, VTE in cancer patients, uh, particularly uh, patients with, uh, uh, without uh, GI cancers and possibly in some patients with GI cancers as well. Uh, if we look specifically at the patients with GI cancers, the ones who tended to bleed were patients with an upper GI cancer, so an esophageal cancer or a gastric cancer, with the primary intact. So you have to have a gastric mass or an esophageal mass. As a result of these different clinical trials, uh, guidelines have changed. So until recently, guidelines recommended low molecular weight heparin monotherapy for six months as the standard of care of treatment for cancer-associated acute venous thromboembolism. Those guidelines have now changed. ASCO, for instance, recommends that you can start initial anticoagulation with low molecule heparin, unfractionated heparin, fornaparinux, or rivaroxaban. Um, and for six months, you can take low molecule heparin, edoxaban, or rivaroxaban. The ASCO guidelines were made before the Caravaggio trials were presented. ASH, for instance, updated their guidelines after the Caravaggio trial came out. And so their guidelines recommend that DOAC, such as apixaban or rivaroxaban, or low molecular weight heparins can be used for initial treatment. And for the long-term treatment, three to six months, the ASH panel suggests DOACs, apixaban, edoxaban, or rivaroxaban over low molecular weight heparin. And so this is a big change in the way we treat acute VTE in cancer patients. So for this patient of mine that we discussed, uh, what are the choices for treatment? Certainly I could put her on low molecular weight heparin monotherapy. Uh, the challenges with that would be that she would have to do a daily self-injection for uh, six months. Uh, I could put her on low molecule heparin transitioning to warfarin, uh, but that would be associated with inferior outcomes, specifically a greater risk of recurrent VTE. Or I could put her on a direct oral anticoagulant with a possible increased risk of uh, GI bleeding, although this patient doesn't, did not have her primary present, so there's no rectal mass or colonic mass and she did not have an upper GI cancer. When we make recommendations for acute VTE, the things we want to consider are, is it cancer-associated VTE? Answer here is yes. Is the patient have normal liver function and uh, renal function? Answer here is also yes. Uh, are they on anything that could induce or inhibit B glycoprotein or CYP3A4 uh, that would interfere with the uh, DOAC being given? Or are they at high risk of bleeding because of a gastric primary or esophageal primary? 
If the answer is no for all of these questions, which it is in this case, then you could use a DOAC. If the answer is yes, then you could use a low molecular weight heparin. And that's certainly our practice here at the Cleveland Clinic. For this patient in particular, we preferred uh, the use of DOAC because it's uh, an oral agent. It's once or twice a day. You don't need any monitoring. You don't need the daily self-injection. And at least where I practice in the United States, DOACs are actually cheaper than uh, low molecular weight heparins as well. So to summarize, randomized clinical trials as well as real-world data support the use of DOACs uh, with careful patient selection. My recommendation is to individualize treatment choices based on patient risk and benefit. Always talk to your patient, understand what their preferences are. They may want an oral agent, they may want an injectable agent, uh, they may like to ignore the risk of bleeding if they are more satisfied with the uh, with the uh, with having an oral agent. So we need to have this discussion with patients themselves, and certainly we need to consider tumor type, safety, efficacy, and drug drug interactions when making making treatment recommendations. Overall, however, uh, I, I think we've made a big impact on the care of cancer patients with these new clinical trials because we've been able to show that the, there are different options for cancer patients. You don't have to stick to a one-size-fits-all. Uh, cancer patients have choices, and overall, 95% of cancer patients will not have a recurrent VTE and will not have a major bleeding episode associated with anticoagulation. So I think with careful patient selection, this is a win-win for cancer patients. And in my opinion, this is an important advance in the treatment of um, acute VTE in the cancer population. Thank you very much. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.